This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. We're all in this together is a common slogan we see or hear when things are difficult and we need a reminder that we're not alone. I have a couple of friends I pray with regularly and often they'll text things like, we're cheering you on or we're thinking of you when things are tricky. Knowing friends or family are there for us when things are tough, that they have our back or understand what we're going through can make all the difference to the situation we're in, right? But sometimes it doesn't always feel like that. In fact, sometimes it can't be like that. My son has just had some mock exams at school, which were really difficult. I could talk with him about it beforehand, give him tips of how, on how to navigate an exam well. But when it came to it, I couldn't go in there with him. I couldn't do it for him. He had to do it himself, on his own. When I gave birth to each of my three children, as much as Owen was there for me and present in every moment, absorbing my pain in his own body as he prevented the bones in his hands from being crushed to pieces, he didn't actually experience what I did. However much he may have wanted to or think he did, that was a pain for only me to bear. Many people have coined the phrase, which is actually found in the, new, in the first book of Timothy in your Bible, you brought nothing into this world and you can take nothing out. Which really is a stark reminder that at the end of the day, however much support we have, however many friends and family we have, through life, we all have a unique journey that for each of us is truly ours alone to own. So on that mildly depressing note, hold that thought. Don't worry, I'm not going to leave us there. We'll come back to this in a moment. Over this summer period, our new box set sermon series is Favourite Jesus Stories. And today I want to take us to the story at right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus says his final goodbye to his disciples. So we pick up the story 40 days after Jesus has come back to life and has been appearing to his disciples on numerous occasions during this time. I'm going to read it in two parts, firstly from Matthew 28, 16 to 20, and then I'm following it up in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Luke picks up the story in Acts and says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, 
It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid hid him from their sight. It's fascinating to me that Matthew would choose to end the gospel he is writing, not with the bizarre phenomenon of Jesus floating into the sky and disappearing into a cloud, which is really a pretty good read. But no, he chooses to end the gospel with a quote from Jesus. How you end a letter or an article really is important. It's the summary and lasting bit you want to stick in someone's mind. This quote from Jesus really is important for many reasons. But the bit I want to focus on today is the very last line of the very last quote. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, that is a remarkable statement contrary to how it may feel sometimes, that Jesus is always with us. And this is not the only time we hear this. Repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, we see God tell his people to not be afraid because he will never leave them or forsake them. If we can really grasp what this means, it has the power to radically change everything about the way we live our lives. If Jesus is who we think he is, and he promises he will always be with us, I do act and think the way we do. And I'm speaking to myself here as much as I'm speaking to you. Why do we stress about our future, our career, how much money we have? Why do we get anxious about our health? Why do we worry about how our kids are going to turn out? Why do we care so much about what other people think of us or act in certain ways to make people like us? Why do we ever feel powerless or out of control or on our own? According to Jesus, we are never truly on our own. Over this past year, I have been exploring what it means to take Jesus at his word on this. So today, I want to simply invite you into some of my journey and to share some of my pondering. I'd like to start first with considering who Jesus actually is, this Jesus of Nazareth who lived 2,000 years ago. When Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was, Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. At Jesus' interrogation by the Jews just before his crucifixion, the high priest demanded, tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Luke records that on one occasion when Jesus cast demons out of people, the demons cried out, you are the Christ, the Son of God. The word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, meaning the anointed one or chosen one. The Hebrew word meaning the same thing is Mashiach or Messiah. The Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, predicted that God would send a chosen one, a Messiah. So the Jewish people knew the Messiah was coming. At the beginning of his ministry on earth, Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth on the Sabbath and read the scripture for the day, which happened to be the words from Isaiah 61, a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And then he said that he was the one to whom this prophecy referred. 
that he had been anointed to preach the good news, that he was the Christ, the anointed one. In order to really grasp the magnitude of who Jesus is, we can't only look to Jesus of Nazareth, born to Mary, who lived 2,000 years ago. We need to look a bit further and delve into Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Colossians 1.15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's a pretty mind-blowing statement. At Christmas time each year, we talk about the incarnation, Emmanuel meaning God with us, God getting as close as he possibly could with humanity. Incarnation literally means embodied in flesh, but Richard Rohr, an American author and Franciscan friar in the Catholic Church, suggests a broader way of looking at this, that in a sense, maybe there are actually three incarnations, three times where we see God getting up close and personal with us, three times in history where we see God with us, Emmanuel. He suggests the first of these being what we see in Genesis 1 in creation, the second being the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago, and the third being the body of Christ, the church, where Jesus fills each of us with his spirit. Today, I want to look at each of these three ways in which we see Jesus fulfilling his promise to be with us always, even to the end of the age. So first of all, Christ in creation. John 1, 1-4 says, In the beginning was the word. The word here is translated from the Greek word logos, meaning the reason, the rational principle that governs all things. And John is using this term to refer to Jesus. And so he continues, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. It would seem that long before Jesus' personal incarnation, Christ Jesus was deeply embedded in all things like an artist would pour themselves into their masterpiece and then the masterpiece carries something of the artist itself in its shape and form, its purpose, what it communicates. In the same way, if all things are made through Jesus and nothing has been made without him, then everything visible without exception must be the outpouring of God. What else could it be? Romans 1.20 says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. A few years ago, I started going on an annual three-day retreat. And on those retreats, I discovered the practice of going for a contemplative walk in nature. Before then, I thought the best way for me, being an introvert, to connect with God was to simply be on my own, in my room, reading my Bible, praying, journaling. But I've since discovered the problem with that is that I am very much limited to what's in my mind, what's in my immediate surroundings. But when I began to embark on this new spiritual practice, I discovered a whole new way of connecting with God. We need to open our spiritual eyes to everything around us. We need to 
widen our gaze if we want to discover the fullness of God. Going for a contemplative walk doesn't have to take a long time out of your day. We would just go for 45 minutes. But the intention is that you slow yourself down, that you wind down, have no agenda. It's not about physical exercise or reaching a certain destination. In fact, it's recommended that you walk with your hands behind your back, like you might imagine a monk doing. And because your arms aren't swinging freely, you can't walk as fast. But the point is to open up your senses to your surroundings, to become aware of God's presence with you through creation. So being attentive to anything you may not only see, but also hear, smell or feel. So it may be that you notice a line of tiny ants marching across your path or the sound of a bird calling or the smell of freshly cut grass. Whatever it may be, you pause to drink it in, to notice the detail, to contemplate and enjoy it, recognising that it carries the very DNA of its creator. And in that moment, God so often begins to speak and make his presence felt, which is something he loves to do. If you want to give it a try, there's a resource on our website explaining how to do a contemplative walk. Richard Raw says, once we know that the entire physical world around us, all of creation, is both the hiding place and the revelation place for God. This world becomes home, safe, enchanted, offering grace to all who look deeply. Being aware of this reality not only connects us to God through nature, but it also connects us to God through each other. Colossians 3.11 says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, you could re- read Christian or non-Christian, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Everyone is the child of God, no exceptions. When you come to think of it, what else could anyone be? The Passion Translation of the Bible says this in John 1, 3. And through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things, for nothing has existence apart from him. When we understand Jesus Christ on this cosmic level, it excludes no one, but includes everyone and everything. You know, as a young Christian many years ago, with my enthusiastic desire for people to come to know Jesus as I did, I believe the fallacy that I was taking Jesus to people, that I was somehow carrying Jesus and they didn't have him. Now my aim in life is to look for Jesus in everything and everyone, wherever they may be on their journey, to recognise the hallmarks of our divine creator. One simple way is to look for where I see love. If we believe God is in his essence love, He doesn't just do love. He is love and the source of all love. Where I see love, that's where God must be. People don't always attribute the love they have as coming from God. But if it's not, where else is it coming from? You may remember in May 2017 when 22 people were killed by a suicide bomber outside an Ariana Grande concert in Manchester. And within 13 days, Grande had organised a Love Manchester concert filled with messages of love and resilience. 
was so moving. On the night, Katy Perry was quoted as saying, it's not always easy to choose love, right? Especially in moments like this, it can be difficult, Perry said. But love conquers fear and love conquers hate. And this love that you choose will give you strength and it's our greatest power. If that's not God breaking through and being present with his people, I don't know what is. Christ reaches out to us through nature and through others. He also reaches out to us in the person of Jesus. This is the understanding of Jesus being with us that we will be most familiar with. We regularly hear the words at Christmas time, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Or all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God's loving union with physical creation. If you ever struggle to believe that you belong to something or someone bigger, if you struggle to be the person you want to be, feeling alone or powerless to change, then let this give you hope. God loves things by uniting with them, not by excluding them. Christ is God, and Jesus is Christ's historical manifestation in time. Jesus is not just God and not just man, but God and human together. Jesus, as a human, modelled for us what a life in union with God could look like so that it could be our experience too. So we have Christ in creation, Christ in Jesus, and finally, Christ Jesus in us. Christ Jesus is in the church, the body of Christ, through the Holy Spirit, living in each and every one of us who are in relationship with him. In the passage we read in Acts before Jesus ascends into heaven, he instructs his disciples to wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. But John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Prior to this, in chapter 14, we see Jesus having a long discussion with his disciples, trying to help them get their heads around the meaning of him leaving and sending the Holy Spirit in his place. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. And verse 26, he says, But the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything, I have said to you. Tim Keller, a pastor and theologian in the States, in his book Encounters with Jesus, describes how significant the ascension is in enabling us to experience the presence of Jesus breathing and living through us in our everyday lives. He says this, In the ascension, a change takes place. As long as the man, Jesus, existed in the world of space and time, he could only be at one spot at one moment. If you wanted to hear him, relate to him or experience him, you had to be at that place and that time. But at the ascension, Jesus leaves a space-time continuum and passes into the presence of the Father. As a result, any time-space limitation to his work passes away. You no longer have to go to a single geographical location in order to receive his ministry. Jesus is still our prophet, teaching us and instructing us with his word. But now he does it everywhere through the Holy Spirit. 
St. Augustine said it like this, You ascended from before our eyes, and we turned back grieving, only to find you in our hearts. Because Jesus Christ ascended, each and every one of us can know his presence, actually speaking to us, actually teaching us, actually loving through us. A few years ago, at the end of a long day, I had just finished an Audi shop um, with one of my sons. He was about nine at the time. And as we walked out of the shop, we noticed an elderly chap with two full bags of shopping, just about to load them onto his bike that he'd locked up outside the shop. As we unloaded our shopping into the car, it it became increasingly obvious that the elderly gentleman had lost his key. He was patting his pockets, acting more and more exasperated as the time went on. My son noticed this and suggested we go and help. Now, I have to be totally honest with you, I was tired and I had other kids waiting at home. I really wasn't up for this, but my son persisted and not wanting to appear too cold and heartless, I reluctantly agreed to just five minutes of looking for the key. We separated and went our own ways around the supermarket and after just a few minutes of searching, we met up, no joy. Now, I was ready to go home, but once again, my son persisted, let's just look down here, man. So in the middle of this busy supermarket, like literally looking for a needle in the haystack, my son walked straight down to the very bottom of a long aisle, to the refrigerator section, and right below, tucked next to the fridge, was a little black key. We couldn't believe our eyes. Now, we had no idea whether this actually was the key, but we were going to give it a go. So we ran out of the shop as fast as we could, to find the elderly gentleman walking away out of the car park, carrying his bag, bags, no bike in tow. We ran out. We, we said, we think we might have found your key. And it was his key. Now, I don't know if that gentleman had prayed or not. Likely he did. You know, one of those help me God arrow prayers. But I wonder if he ever contemplated that possibly God was working behind the scenes just for him through a small child and a grumpy mum, no less, to provide exactly what he needed. Jesus is with us always, even when we don't realise it. For some time now, at seven, we have been training a team of people in the Emmanuel approach. Emmanuel, as we know, means God with us. And it is a coach-led prayer session where the coach leads the receiver in a personal conversation with Jesus. I liken it to literally having coffee with Jesus. It feels that personal and that real. Often in a session, the receiver goes back to a memory of a past experience that needs healing. The key to healing is to find Jesus in the memory. So often it's not actually a negative experience itself that causes us trauma, but the lies we believe because of it, like I'm not safe or... I'm all alone, or it was my fault. When we find Jesus in a memory, it can change everything. When we realise he was always with us, and he speaks his truth into the situation, it can bring tremendous healing. We are never alone. We have never been alone. Jesus is always right there with us, guiding us, comforting us, being the solution. If you'd like to sign up for an Emmanuel session or find out more, just go to the Emmanuel page on our website. You know, so often we talk about how we can connect with God, but I think what we've been talking about today shows that it's actually about God connecting with us. 
in creation, in each other, in our circumstances, in ourselves. Graham Cook, a well-known Christian speaker and author, reflects on his fascination when he hears people saying that they are really pursuing the presence of God. His response is, what? Is he running away from you? We don't pursue God. We might look for him, but we don't pursue him. He's right here already. The next time you feel afraid or alone or powerless or simply just don't know what to do, we can be confident in Jesus' promise to be right with us always, even to the very end of the age. Let's pray.